0: Hey, it's Mark Shrevely here, You're listening to the Jet Centric Podcast.
1: Hey there, Jets fans. Welcome back to episode 46 of the Jet Centric Podcast. My name is AJ, one of your hosts. Now, let's forget to say this. Please go to iTunes and subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review. Uh, it helps us. So uh, go and do that. Okay, anyhow, on to the episode at hand uh I do an interview with Murat Atesh of the Athletic uh Murat's a friend and a great guy uh does some uh great writing over there using a lot of numbers to uh do long in-depth uh articles uh, for the, for the Athletic so we kind of break down uh some of that he talks about his uh, most recent article Actually, by the time this comes out, it'll be the second most recent article, I suppose. But uh, anyhow, we, we talked for about an hour and a half, and it was getting late, and we talked a bunch of nonsense, so uh, I whittled down that hour and a half to one hour, so I think it was a bit more representative of the overall flow of it than cut out uh, a bit of the, the goofy stuff. So uh, we both appreciate not having to post that uh, some of that stuff on air. So anyhow, I think you'll enjoy what, what was left in there. Uh, big thanks to Murat for doing it like I said it was late and uh, we we got carried away on some some tangents so um, you'll you'll notice some hard cuts in it so uh, that is on purpose just because I'm like well this is a good place to to try and edit stuff out and move to the next thing but so it's not seamless but uh, whatever well uh, I don't get paid to do this either so anyhow enjoy the interview here we go
2: Hey there, Jets fans! Welcome back to yet another episode of the Jet Centric podcast. I am joined by Murat Atesh of the Athletic. Um, he, uh, if you don't know who he is, uh, you should by now. Anyhow, Murat, we've been talking before this, so I'm not going to act like uh, we're just starting the conversation now. Thanks so much for for taking the time to do this. It's always fun. So,
0: oh, geez, uh, thank you very much for having me. I, I definitely appreciate being on. I think that if you added up all of the minutes, I might have. And this is an analytics question, but I might have spoken more with you at JetCentric than than anyone else uh, this year, maybe.
2: Well, that, that might be true. This is your third time on this year. Um, and then you and I, we did an interview last year for, for a different podcast as well. So um, I might have the record, la- or the record last year with a different podcast, too, because I, <laughs> we talked for an hour and a half, two hours, whatever it was. But, uh know, anyway, I, I always enjoy our conversations. There's lots of fun. And, and actually... Um, for for this podcast, uh, the episode that you recorded with us before the seasons uh, started was actually by far our most popular episode. Uh, obviously, people are really enjoying your work and what you're doing, so I know that this will be um, a hit as well. Which isn't the point of it uh, uh, so much as uh, getting to hear what you have to say because uh, uh, you know people hear you on 1290. I'd like that we can kind of get you for a little bit longer. I know that you did the legal curve the other day too. So it's uh, it's our turn too, to steal some of your time and uh, get to throw it out to our listeners. So anyhow, thanks again for doing it. Let's get into it. Okay. So the first thing I wanted to talk about was when we did have you on before the season, um, we we sort of made some predictions. We talked about uh, how we thought the season was going to go. And, and Chris and I, we sort of hit you with a lot of different scenarios. So I want to kind of revisit some of those. I listened to it today, re-listened re- re- to it and felt like uh, our line of questioning and your answers and stuff were pretty bang on. You could almost listen to it today and it would still make sense, obviously, with the subtraction of mentioning names like Patan and Dano and how they fit into the lineup because uh, some some things have changed and, and with the addition of Hayes. Um, but specifically, uh, there's a few things that I want to talk about. Um, Lining on the first line was something that you brought up at that time, being with uh, Scheifele and Wheeler. And uh, you said before that Scheifele and Wheeler is kind of a starting point for Maurice. So you, that's always your, your lineup um, kind of follows what you think the coach is going to do. Line is finally playing on that first line. Um, it took a long time to get there. I'm curious what you, you think of him finally getting on that first line and getting some time uh, and, and getting him out of that slump. So line on the first line, go.
0: Uh, first of all, I like it. I guess it would be the most honest thing that I could say. Um, I think that you know the combination of Scheifele and Wheeler is one of the starting points that I always assume. You know, Paul Maurice likes these two guys together. These two guys like these two guys together. When when Wheeler signed his contract, he made a point of letting everybody know that it expires at the same time as the, that Shifley's does. Um, they're in it to, together. I, I really think that that's their disposition, and, and I think that Paul Maurice likes keeping them together as well. So, yeah, they're they're a unit. Um, last year, it was Kyle Connor pretty much almost the entire way through, other than some, some line shuffles every now and again mid-game. You see some eelers Connor switches and stuff like that. But, you know, I was fairly underwhelmed with with Kyle Connor on that line during this year and that's that's partly numbers informed just in terms of how badly they got outshot and outscored uh with Connor in that spot. Nick Ehlers comes along, they had a lot of success, so much goal success actually that it might almost be to the unsustainable level of it. But they carried shot flow, they carried zone time, all of those things that are sort of proxies for um for offense. And then Ealers gets hurt And it seemed to me that that was the time that Patrick Lenny should get that opportunity. It took a little while. He's there now. And geez, I mean, just watch those backhand passes to Blake Wheeler over the last week and and tell me that this guy is a one trick pony. He's not. And um, I think that, Parts of his game get overstated, like the fact that he's a goal scorer. You know, I, I've read some pretty remarkable predictions for what he might end up scoring at the end of any given year. Um, and sometimes that gets over overstated. But then you watch the power play, and we know that Blake Wheeler runs it. And we know what his options are. He's got Shifley. He's ideally got Bufflin healthy, or and he's got lining across. And Blake Wheeler's consistency is what makes that thing work. But then watch the thing reload when there's a rebound and it goes to line side and he whips it around the boards or he finds a seam back to Wheeler. He's a creative passer. He's a good passer. Um, It's a part of his game that I think we're starting to see. Now that, finally, he's playing with guys who can keep him in the offensive zone more or less half the time because he was getting beaten fairly handily alongside Brian Little for long stretches. That wasn't a really good combination. They needed help, whether it was going to be Perot or Little, or, pardon me, Perot, or Wheeler even, um, they just, with Patrick Liney, he shoots so well, he has such offensive talent, he's still figuring out some defensive things, put him with guys that, that keep him in the offensive zone. You've started to see that, and you started to see, I think, the fruits and results of that. Um, so, uh, I'm all for him on on that top line. I, I think he's good on his off wing. I've talked to him a little bit about that. He does say that it's an adjustment for him in, in the defensive zone with breakouts. He acknowledges that it it changes things a little bit. It affects the speed a little bit, but he thinks he can make it work, and he loves shooting on his offside as well. So, I think it's a good look. And honestly, Winnipeg has so many good forwards right now. It's tough to mess it up. You you could draw random combinations and end up with good lines right now. Um, it's a bit of a ramp for you, AJ, but I like it. I like what they've got going on with with lining on the top line right now.
2: That's great. That's great to hear. I like uh, like you're taking again listening this morning to you know, your preseason stuff that it's almost a mirror image of what you're saying of him playing on his offside with those two and, and what you thought you could get out of it too. So um, it's neat to kind of see that come full circle and, you know, and and know, you know, that you're, it's confirming some of your your suspicions of what, what can work. So uh, I've been saying for a while that he needs to play with somebody who's better than him. Like he can't be the best player on the line. And uh, now that they're finally doing it, I think we're going to see a nice little burst of some goals from him again too. to kind of get back to scoring. So that's good. Um, Another thing that we talked about at the beginning, and and you've spoken very highly of this person for a very long time, but now we're finally getting to see him, uh, Sammy Niku. Uh, So I'd like to hear what you have to say about him. He sat for a lot of time in the press box, didn't get to play. He's probably played about 60% of the total possible games that he could play whether in the HL or NHL and uh, now we're starting to finally see him a little bit more because of injuries and hopefully he stays there. I was wondering what you could uh, say about his uh, development and what you've seen from him and his adjustment to to the big game and maybe his uh, chances of staying in the lineup. We know he's staying with the big club he's not going down to the Moose again he's not with them for any playoff run which they're probably not going to be in anyhow so um, what what do you think of Sammy Niku and his season so far?
0: I think the biggest complaint I have is that we're, we're just starting to see consistent minutes for Sami Niku now. Um I, I think that it was pretty clear uh, after a really long deep dive on my part with uh, with words from scouts, with words from folks in Europe, with words from folks in North America, some of the comparisons, um, some math by Namita Kumar, some math by Tyler Dello. It was all kind of pointing that this guy – was ready specifically this season to play at least 40 games in the NHL and, and make a meaningful offensive contribution. Um, I think the the numbers were on his side. Uh, I think that one of the missed opportunities for Paul Maurice and for the Winnipeg Jets this year is that we're just finding out what he can do now as opposed to, say, late 2018. Uh, there were also injuries at the time and his minutes weren't quite what they are today. Um one of my favorite things to watch a defender do, one of my favorite things that sort of conveys that hockey isn't always about the moment, it can be about what happened a few seconds before the moment, is defensemen who pass to each other in good positions. This was a Dustin and toby Enstrom special last year. Quick reverses, they would always give the puck to the other player with, with more space and more time than they picked it up. And that's a gift. That is a real valuable talent in my mind and it it sets breakouts. It keeps pucks out of your zone, keeps you playing defense, um, keeps you away from playing defense, keeps you outside of your own zone. And I think that recently, as Sammy Niku's confidence has really started to build, you're seeing him spin off of players in his own zone. There's a real nice moment against Tampa Bay where he had two men on him in the corner, spun off from both Edith to Ben Sherratt on his tape in more time and space than uh, for Sherratt than Niku had when he picked it up in the first place that's to me that's his meal ticket that is that is his bread and his butter it is all of the phrases that you can come up with um it's also something that's i think sorely missing amongst uh, winnipeg's other left defensemen, with josh morrissey accepted so here's a guy who does something very very valuable uh there's going to be size and strength concerns probably his entire career and we're finally seeing that hey um the the skill that he has is is what Winnipeg needs to spend time outside of its own zone. I, I really believe that this is a modern NHL defenseman in a lot of ways, Pair him with somebody who's bigger and stronger than him, like Ben Sherrod for the moment, Dustin Buffalo, and maybe in more of an ideal circumstance. And and here we have somebody who's, you know, ceiling is offensive top four blue liner with roughly half a point per game or even better during his peak years. I like where this guy is going. I already think he's the best passer on Winnipeg's left side, especially in its current state of health. Um, And it's the rest of his game that just needs to round out. Uh, That comes with size, strength and experience. I think he can do it.
2: So do you you think that uh, if everybody's healthy, um, do you think not what you would like to see, but do you think he stays in the lineup or do you think uh, Maurice sort of reverts back to um, his his veteran players instead and, and give Niku probably more time next year to kind of take that role over completely, or do you think there's enough time left in the season for him to fully grasp that uh, going into the playoffs, even if there's other healthy options?
0: For me, when I'm guessing at stuff, I usually go by previous performance, and I think Maurice's previous performance is to go to the veterans. So I think that you'll see some sort of Morrissey Bolu cherat situation on the the left side. that's not a guarantee it's been nice to hear Maurice go out of his way to say nice things about Niku. You know, when you ask about one player like Chirat and the answer comes out 60% Niku, uh, that's a, that's a good thing. That's a, that's a recognition, um, but words are words and actions are different. And I, I, I think that Paul Maurice, like 95% of coaches in the world are, are going to choose the veterans. And I think that that's what his history says. So um Geez, if Winnipeg's defensemen were healthy today, I, I don't necessarily think Nick would be playing.
2: Moving on to two other defensemen. Now this isn't uh Sort of a huge topic right now but uh at the beginning of the season again going back to this this earlier episode um uh, chris asked you specifically about uh Truba and morrissey and who you thought had the higher ceiling and uh after kind of you know talking about it you said that you think that Truba still has a higher ceiling um i'm curious after the season the last 60 games do you still feel feel that way and and also to be fair when you said that you didn't Say, oh, he blows more sea out of the water or anything. It was obviously very close. Some, For some, it probably just comes down to a preference of style or, or, or whatnot. But uh, do you still think that uh, Truba is actually um, the, the main guy? Um, I don't know if it is say, the linchpin because we still have uh, Buff on that right side if Truba were to leave. But with Morrissey on the left side, that was, uh, that's that's a little different story that we'd be pretty vacant over there. Um, but as far as just comparing the two, uh, do you do you think
0: that uh, Truba still has more upside to give than Morrissey does? Uh, I think the important thing for me when discussing these guys um, is to, I guess, I I often speak to what I think people's perceptions are, and so. I think it's really important to recognize that even strength, Jacob Truba is clearly a number one right handed defenseman. I don't think that he really gets that um that that credit from a lot of folks, especially on a team where Dustin Bufflin is more famous and um also a like a very impactful person. It's a it's a, a clear strength for Winnipeg when everybody's healthy and, and you can push a guy like Tyler Myers to third pairing sheltered minutes. It's it's really quite nice. Uh, it's a luxury. So I think that Jacob Truba for reputation for the thought that he might leave all these other sorts of reasons doesn't really get his due as a top pairing, right handed defenseman i think he is that good um one of the situations where i've been a little bit less than blown away is him on the power play since uh since he's taken that spot over i don't think he makes decisions quite as quickly as even dustin bufflin who i thought would make a meal out of some of those moments every now and again um or josh morrissey who the angles are all wrong for him as a left-hander but uh, I think he knows his role very well and makes very very quick decisions. So, at the same time, as saying that I still think that Truba edges Morrissey out right now. Especially, it's easy to say with Morrissey not playing. I'm willing to see some room that Josh Morrissey's IQ is just going to take him to a to new plateaus that that maybe he hasn't hit yet. But if you're asking me the ceiling question, I, I'm willing to flip flop a little bit. I think that uh, it, it would be worth talking about Josh Morrissey as a guy that it could ever so slightly eclipse Truba as the years go by. Um, and then to be the, the ultimate hedger, I, I just think that Winnipeg would be set if you could keep both of them at their ages and experiences and the way they work together. If you could keep them together for an extended period of time and everybody was happy, I think that it would mean a lot for Winnipeg's cup window. Absolutely.
1: All right. I got one more
2: question. Uh, again, uh, something that we talked about at the beginning. Um, I want to ask you about um, actually just when you mentioned Morrissey and, and his uh, being the left shot on the, the power play, obviously, because talking about feeding line a, Uh maybe next year, if uh, Vesalainen joins the team and you could have Morrissey feeding Vesalainen on that left side, that might be a, a, a nice combo, combo there. And if Truva can, you know, be the guy feeding, feeding Liney with that right, right past there. But anyhow, I was going to ask you about Vestalainen and what you think about uh, his uh, future in Winnipeg. It looks like, you know, Yokerit might be done. He might, you know, him and a bunch of other Moose players might be sitting up in the press box uh, real soon. Um, do you think that um, he might see some time with the Jets or only be uh, because of injury and uh, long-term um, you, or maybe not long-term, but next season, uh, do you think he becomes a full-time jet because he, didn't seem too happy about not being one already this year. <laughs>
0: um, well, I, I think first and foremost, I if, if I'm the Winnipeg Jets, his happiness with the demotion isn't really my biggest concern. It's about building the best possible hockey team. Um, that said, I think that he'll be ready for that next year. I I, I really like who the player is as a as an on-ice skill set. Um, I I think that he's a terrific draft pick that they should be proud of and that that should represent a value contract for them going forward over the next three years. Um, I, I would want to double check that contract information as well, just because like, I, I I think that if you were to come over right now, if you, if you were in fact absolutely done, he hopped on a plane, one more plane for him. He's been on so many this year. Um, and Started spending time in the press box, I, I really believe that's as far as it should go, because Winnipeg is that deep up front, and working in a rookie at this time is a bit of a gamble, plus you're at, suddenly, if, you, if he plays enough games, you're at the risk of burning a year of his uh, his DL. So You want it to slide, um, and you want him to remain ineligible for the expansion draft for Seattle as well. So, all of these things to say, I like the player. I, I believe that he's a, a good candidate to be a value contract moving forward. That left shot if you can shoot really quite as well as we believe, um, then that second power play unit could become an inverse of the first. Uh, I think that only really works if the shooting talent is really quite top notch and, and forces people to, um, I mean, if it's Matthew Perot taking the one timer, I, I love that person as a player. Like I love the way he plays hockey, but it's not something that you genuinely have to respect as a defense. So as long as Winnipeg has enough left-handed shots that, that genuinely strikes fear in the heart of defenses, Uh, I think Vestalainen could be an impactful second power play, a unit player as soon as next year. All of this to say, um, he's probably, at least up front, barring some serious home runs this summer, the last in a long line of impact forwards during the duration of his entry-level contract, and one of the last people because of that, that really gives Winnipeg a value contract that they can use against their salary cap and stay competitive while everybody else gets expensive. AJ, I made a meal out of that answer. Oh, Did that good.
2: make sense? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay. I, I, I love it. I'm, I'm gonna re-listen to this afterwards to to absorb it all. But uh, yeah, I just I uh, thought it'd be fun to kind of hear your takes about that. And just talking about him uh, with the left shot. I mean, does Winnipeg have like the most elite players that are right-handed in the league? Like it's ridiculous how many of our top-end players are right-handed. I don't I, I don't know. It's, it seems a little bit weird that
0: the I don't, I don't know. Whatever. Maybe. It's, did you read there's there's an article at the Athletic today about just like how to teach your kid what hand they shoot. Yeah. And it, I guess it was ideally suited for parents. And you know I started thinking about this as well. Like I, I shoot left-handed. My dominant hand's my right, so it's on the top. But not everybody works that way. So people who are dominant right-handers who shoot right, they seem like like that just seems like a, an anomaly to me. And then I was reading in that article that apparently 60% of sticks sold in the United States are right-handed sticks. So
2: yeah,
0: I. I can't make sense of it. Is what I'm saying. I'm still catching up to handedness as a as a uh, as a concept or as a prevalence or what influences it all. I, I don't know the answer.
2: There there's actually been uh, I remember there's a study I think it was in like the New York Post or is, there, is that a New York Post is that a paper I think. Um, this is like in 2002 or something. I remember reading something that uh, basically in Canada it's you know 60% left. Uh, and in the states, it's 60% right. But then also, they broke it down by Europeans and, and by defensemen and position. And it's like you're way more likely to be, I think, a right-handed defenseman from Quebec than uh, from BC. <laughs> like the, there's there's a lot of things that go to it where you just kind of see what happens in these regions. And it's like this, it's so weird how how they skew so so out of whack, but you just think it'd be a little bit more constant, but uh, I don't know. Maybe there's some, some, some science behind it. I, I certainly don't know, but I, I'm actually fascinated with the uh, uh, handedness. I, I, I call it the nanostats. Some people like microstats. Um, <laughs> I, I said, it's like nanostats. I want to know uh, tape color, uh, the stick brand. I want to know handedness. And, and that's, that's
0: the, that's all, that's it. That's all I have for nanostats so far. So, but that's cool. I would read the Malcolm Black, Malcolm Gladwell book on the topic. I would. Oh, maybe I will. Uh, um,
2: speaking of reading and speaking about articles, uh, you had an article today that you, you put out uh, about some conversations you had with uh, players and coaches. Uh, I was curious if you want to speak a little bit ab- about that. I told you before we started recording here that I didn't get a chance to read it because I was watching the Canucks and Maple Leafs uh, while waiting to, to chat with you. So I didn't read it, but uh, I figured I'd give you a chance
0: to talk about what you, you learned there. I assume that you're wearing a blue Patan jersey right now. oh,
2: well, right now I'm wearing a Tennessee Titans uh, jersey, actually, or Tennessee uh, Titans shirt. So, no. Um, yes, I am a big Nick Patan fan, and he played very well. Uh, I thought he played well from what I, I watched, but I was also writing down questions at the same time with the sound off. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's uh, Anyhow, so back to you and uh, what you, you wrote about today or what you released today.
0: Yeah, I, I wanted to have the conversation with the Winnipeg Jets about – essentially why things haven't been going that well for them at 5-on-5. Five five. Um, I genuinely think that a lot of the guys in that room, players and coaches alike, they're they're wise to the point right now where they know the difference between process stats and results. I, I don't think any of them were bragging uh, about standings points as the reason why they were a juggernaut necessarily. I think that they know, um, you know, they keep their own things like zone time or scoring chances or whatever their metrics are. I'm fairly confident that they didn't believe that they were running over teams for the last several months. And um, to have that conversation about what's not going so well, I wanted to sort of come prepared with, you know, my opinions, my uh, enough video, enough stats, enough things, just so that I could speak to it in sort of a respectful way. Uh, and, and and also at the same time, get some honest opinions about why the back pressure isn't as hard as it normally is, why the Jets are having trouble Um, gaining zone entries, why they're having trouble breaking it out of their zone, uh, some of the in-zone defense stuff as well. So for those conversations, um, I mean, Paul Maurice is a really good person to talk to in that because he's very articulate. Um, Andrew Cobb is a terrific person to talk to about that because he knows the defensive zone so well. And he's kind of a three-dimensional thinker too. He can really layer moments together. Um, You know, zone entries are a little bit tougher for the Winnipeg Jets Because breakouts are poor. Why are breakouts poor? Because they're spending 30 seconds in their own zone at a time fighting for the puck. Defenseman gets the puck and forwards aren't in the right position. Well, why are they spending 30 seconds in their own zone so often um, getting scrambled around? Because they're giving up their blue line a little bit more often than they used to do. Why are they giving up the blue line more often? Because forwards aren't back pressuring as hard as Winnipeg Jets are supposed to back pressure. And if you're a defenseman on the Winnipeg Jets and you're playing on the blue line, trying to keep the puck in or deciding if you're going to pinch or deciding how tight your gap is going to be, the number one cue you have is the amount of forwards or at least one forward coming back to cover your back. Um, so Andrew Kopp is just a terrific person to speak to to tie all of those moments together and sort of explain how they tie to, how, how each one influences the next. Um, and I was also able to talk to Adam Lowry, Blake Wheeler, um, all of these sorts of folks who, you know, should know and be willing to speak to why the Jets are not the five-on-five juggernaut that I think that a lot of people expected that they would be. And, and that's the purpose of that article. Today it went up at The Athletic and it was, here's what's not going well. Uh, a lot of the stuff that I just alluded to. And then tomorrow there'll be one going up. Same guys speaking um, a little bit different perspectives. Uh, there's going to be a lot more of Lowry's voice because that guy's going to be a coach if he ever wants to be, that's for sure. Um, about what it takes to take what they, where they're at right now, and 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 wrap things up and and make them the five on five team that, uh, you know, I think at the beginning of the year I thought that they'd be kind of top ten between five and ten. I think is what I wrote in terms of fi- a lot of the five on five metrics, and they haven't been that. Uh, I think they can get to that. I think they think they can get to that, and and that's what uh, it's what these pieces are about.
2: Well, just with you talking about, uh, Andrew Cobb, maybe it's appropriate tonight because of, uh, LeBron passing, uh, Michael Jordan, but, uh, it for fourth in points but um did you ever see the video of lebron kind of recalling uh what happened in a game uh, like in some of his press conferences where he's like well then he in it bounded the ball but he didn't do this so then i had to go down and block this guy and he sort of retells you know a couple minutes of, of play there that's what it reminded me of when you're talking about uh, andrew Cobb, sort of you know replaying it all not necessarily a specific instance but uh, more in generalities of of what they're doing so i don't know i just for me that was i haven't
0: asked him about- I haven't tested him on that yet, but I've heard from a couple of people that it's, that's, that's actually an Andrew Kopp skill, that absolutely it is, that he is in that group of people who, for whatever reason, can remember sequences with that amount of specificity. Uh, so I'm kind of curious now. I, I, I kind of want to test him at some point, but I do know that he's been a really good person to talk to, and he will talk to you honestly, and he'll, you know, he's willing to say things like, um, you know, our gap isn't what it should be right now, or, you know, we've been a top team for a long while, but we're not playing like it right now. Here's why. And and get into some stuff like that. And he doesn't say it with judgment. He's not shit-talking anybody. He's just explaining this is how it is and what needs to be done. And he's, he's a really articulate, intelligent guy.
2: I wonder uh, just if it uh, – I, I don't know enough about football culture and stuff like that, but being a football guy and maybe some of the stuff related to the way that uh, they perceive the game and, and what they have to recall might be a little bit different. I mean uh, we we know what uh, stats uh, like the analytics community has done for hockey and more recently, but uh hockey generally has been lagging behind basketball and uh, and maybe football too. I don't really know, but um that might just be something to just kind of throw in there uh in, in your conversing with him if, if uh football there's a football tie in to why he thinks the way he does. So
0: Um, I agree with you, Yeah. yeah.
2: yeah. Anyhow, um, I was going to uh, switch over to a couple fan questions here now that I've sort of uh, retold the story of what we talked about before the season, or a couple things, and uh, in your most recent article. Um, so I'm going to ask you some, some, some questions here. So first one, uh, I'm going to go with Scott Campbell. You may have heard of him. <laughs> um, oh, Scott. Yeah. Um, well, he had one. I'll, I'll ask his third question first, just to kind of get out of the way. He said, the best mum of a former Jet. So um, I'm just going to go out and say it's definitely uh, Rosanna 10 um i figure that's what you're gonna you're gonna say too just because uh she has uh, some notoriety for um being being loud and stuff and uh no i obviously he's talking about his mom that you, you you met there um so best moment former jet so you have to say miss miss campbell um otherwise you're in big trouble yeah. with scott so
0: um, uh you know what Let, hold on no you you, you might i don't want you to move on to the next question oh, here sorry. i, I want to say that um Uh, that that it was an absolute and sincere pleasure to meet Diane when she was out uh, for her birthday Um, and actually through Scott uh, we've exchanged some correspondence and and, and she was a teacher for a number of years and really has that wisdom of of just how to discuss concepts such that people can engage with them and understand them and you know I think I learned a lot and I I really felt appreciated and she's an athletic subscriber uh, on her own volition Scott was saying so um, I I really thought that it was a privilege to meet her and uh, and and really felt validated that she was able to use her knowledge to to appreciate the way that some of the ideas get conveyed. It was a it was a terrifically meaningful interaction. And now I'm just gushing and babbling and things like that. But this question's a good one, and absolutely, it's it's Diane.
2: Yeah. I, I, I concur, too. That was a, a fun fun interaction to see all that unfold, and I, I know what uh, she had said about you, Scott It shared it with, uh, with me as well. Um, but he did have a question that wasn't as Jets-related, but he says, how can San Jose slash Calgary get by Vegas with their goaltending being uh, suspect? And uh, kind of to that, I guess he's saying Vegas is going to come out of the Pacific there. Um, and then basically he said Vegas versus the Jets- who do you got? So um, can San Jose Calgary get by Vegas and can the Jets even get by Vegas? There
0: you go. Um, I sincerely think that either of San Jose or Calgary could get by Vegas. I, I have a tough time trying to to predict who comes out of those particular matchups. I, I sincerely think that, that all of those teams are really, really high quality. Uh, and as we saw with flurry too, that, you know, goaltenders can get hot at certain times. Uh, even in the course of a seven-game series, there are enough bounces, there are enough posts, there are enough skate blades, there are everything that can happen in, in that short, tiny sample of a series. Um, any one of these goaltenders, even somebody you're not thinking of as elite, can can take that series over. Um, there's a really interesting study I remember reading a few years ago, and hopefully I'm not butchering it too badly, but even the Vezina winners, even the very best goaltenders of the, of the year, would have multiple five-game stretches that were well, well, well worse than average, uh, well worse than the average of the worst goaltenders that year. And, and same with the 30th best goaltender would have a, at least a five-game stretch, or a few of them, that was well above the average save percentage of the best goaltender that year. So there's enough chaos that influences how many pucks get by a goaltender that I'm not willing to say that absolutely one of these teams has it or doesn't have it heading into, into the playoffs. Um, I think that they all have tremendous skill sets up front. That stone acquisition for Vegas was just phenomenal. I, I, I can't speak. He was one of those guys where I knew from sort of an analytics perspective and I knew from a watching him casually perspective that I thought that this was a really influential guy, but I wrote about him as a potential option for the Jets at the athletic. And for that I watched, I'm going to say, five straight games of every single five-on-five shift that he took. And it was just a master class on how to influence where the game got played and what happened when he was on the ice. And I can't speak more highly of a player at five-on-five, I think, than Mark Stone right now. Um, all of this to say, can they get by Vegas? Can San Jose or, uh, or Calgary get by Vegas? I, I really think that it's possible. It could happen. If Winnipeg has made it to the second round it probably means that they figured out some of what ails them. And if Winnipeg's in the second round, perhaps it it can get by Vegas or whoever it, it does end up meeting. I'm going to tell you a year ago, my over under personally, I don't know if I said this publicly anywhere for the Winnipeg Jets was the seventh game of the second round. I couldn't decide if Winnipeg was going to make it to the third round or if they were going to be eliminated by who I thought was going to be Nashville in the second round. Um, My over under hasn't really changed that much. I really do think that Winnipeg is going to win at least one round in these playoffs. And I am maybe even a little bit less convinced that they're going to, that they would win two this year than, than last um, just on account of of some of these five on five things that we're seeing. They're not the juggernaut that they were a year ago. Um, Yeah. So Scott, please try to make sense out of some of those words. (laughs) He he will.
2: Um, Well, now that we're doing predictions, the, if we're going on record now, um, I've you know me, I'd like to just throw predictions at you all the time. So, so I was just on record here, um, uh, by the end of the playoffs, you'll have 7,000 followers. Um, the Jets will be eliminated in the first or likely the first round by the Dallas Stars. I'm just sticking to it. Everyone can make fun of me. I, I said it, so I just got to stick to it. And then uh I did send you uh thing saying that the Jets will make no trades with Ottawa, which wasn't that bold of a prediction, but uh I did predict that. So I, I, I just wanted to get those predictions out of the way. So uh So everyone knows that I I did say them and (laughs) they're they're public now. And, and, and this is the other, this is, it's the long con, really. What I'm doing here is I'm making these predictions that are maybe come true. I know the Dallas one is a bit of a stretch, but if they come true, then you'll be like, Oh yeah, that AJ guy, he knows stuff. And then, (laughs) then I have your ear and then, then, you know, I'm trying to influence what the jets do eventually through, you know, media um, by the questions that you ask. And then the articles that you write somehow are influenced by me. And then, you know, uh, I get the team that I want. So. That's, that's wow that that's, is definitely a long con that's, I, yes it's crazy but this is <laughs> this, you're all part of the master plan that's uh, i'm pulling the strings here just uh nobody knows it yet no uh nonsense <laughs> i just like making predictions and because they're fun um okay we got a i get another question here Connolly, uh the young man that is uh good friends with adam Lowry. i know that you know who he is he wants to know excuse me um what you'd be doing if you weren't a hockey writer and i don't know if he wants to know like. Uh, if you want to take writing out of that completely, so not writing for something else, because uh, you and I have talked before you did other writing, not before you did the hockey writing, obviously um, so maybe take the writing out completely, so you can 't just go write novels now or or other writing maybe maybe something completely different if you weren 't doing what you 're doing
0: now i 'm going to say that if i weren 't writing um in any capacity at all. Cause I, I would come up with several flavors of writing before I would dismiss it entirely. Um, I think that something in education would, uh, would appeal to me quite a lot. I've um, there's, there's a lot of teachers in my family, principals and university folks and things like that in various corners of the family tree. Uh, it's always appealed to me whenever I was a coach. Uh, I did a lot of tennis coaching when I was in youth. I coached soccer. I did a little bit of hockey stuff as well. Um, all of those roles, Always kind of just felt right to me. I, I feel like I really just want people to succeed, and that I, um, once I spend time with folks, can kind of learn what it is that makes them great. And I, I think that my values really support that of, of a teacher or somebody in in education. So um, yeah, that's uh, that's the the first thing that comes to mind. So hopefully that's the the, the truth of it. Uh, I'll, I'll reflect on it some more because Connolly asked some really good questions. Um, but I think that something in an education capacity would be what I would do if I wasn't a writer.
2: All right. Paul wants to know what is in the WJCP swag bag uh, for appearances. Is that World Juniors, WJCP? Am I dumb? What is
0: that? Uh, Winnipeg Jet-centric podcast.
2: Oh, jeez. Uh, <laughs> all right. Okay, uh, we'll just edit this part out. Um, well, it, yeah, I I can tell you, um, the first time it was uh, uh, chocolate and uh, craft beer. Yeah, a growler. A growler, yeah. I got you a growler.
0: I think that was it. Did I get it? No, yeah, I think that was it. Um, yeah, it was uh, it was very thoughtful, though. It was absolutely a sign that you, you put thought into who was coming over and uh, to, to talk hockey and that, you know, you wanted to do right by them. And I, I think that that's a really, I mean, I, I don't, Obviously expect those things, but the just we talked a little bit earlier about how I, I'm just so impressed by the quality of guests that you get, and I think that as somebody who now knows what it's like to be asked to go on stuff, um, a little bit of knowledge and extra effort and things like that, you know, just a sign that you know who you're talking to or what the, it is that they work on. For me, if if you if you demonstrate that, it's always a yes, and and you are uh, perhaps the the standard bearer there we go i was looking Whoa. for some nice words
2: Holy Oh
0: honestly that was a, it was a very nice thing and, and it's something that i appreciate it and if anybody's listening to the jet-centric podcast wondering how can i get people on my show it's treat them like people and, and and really know who you're talking to because you guys do a really great job of that
2: well thank you uh the reason we're actually doing this interview over the phone is because i'm very broke so i couldn't afford to buy you more beer um this time <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay and then paul i think he did actually have a, a real question here Uh, secondary to this the cap issues coming this summer where do you see changes adjustments if the budget gets squeezed a little or pro on the bubble bridge deal for line a truba truba dealt before last rfa year so he's got a couple things in there Uh, you probably don't have to hit on all of them but um, yeah if you if you got any um hot takes on that that uh maybe aren't aren't obvious um go for it
0: yeah i mean nothing's inside on this i I can't speak to it as if i know but um, you know, I would expect, or at least I would think that a good way to save some money would be for Tyler Myers to walk. Uh, I would think that the Winnipeg Jets at this point, Kevin Chevaldeoff should know what the plan is with Jacob Truba. Um, when I talked to Kurt Overhart, Jacob Truba's agent, about a year ago, he really did make it sound. Now, I'm interpreting. There, there's nothing he said explicitly, but he, he did make references to helping the team win uh, in 2017-18 and 18-19. And then we'll see. Uh, and I think that the summers we'll see. Um, there's a distinct chance that he's on the way out. And um, as much as that makes Winnipeg a much worse hockey team, because he's a very good hockey player, uh, there's some cap savings that would presumably come from that. If that is indeed the case, um, I think Kevin Sheveldayoff has demonstrated at least a, a bit of creativity. Joel Armia was a, a solid price to pay to get out of the um, Steve Mason money. But if Winnipeg wanted to do that again in terms of Dmitry Kulikov, if they absolutely had to, um, there's an option there as well. And what I'm really trying to do, actually, if I were, if I would just take the human equation out of it and pretend it's just me and and money and numbers, is I'm trying to pick around the edges of the Winnipeg Jets roster as much as possible and keep. You know, I, I'm assuming Patrick Laine isn't getting a bridge deal; that he's getting a, a relatively long-term deal at a number that will offend people who were hard on him during a slump. Mm-hmm. Um, I assume that Kyle Connor is going to get paid. And even if I think Nick Elias is the better long-term bet, I think that Kyle Connor is going to get that money or more. Um, there there are expensive things coming Winnipeg's way. Absolutely, there are. Um, and at the same time, I still think that you can kind of pick around the edges, let Myers walk, get out of Kulikov's money if you if you trade an asset to get out of it with him. Um, then all of a sudden you can play guys like Niku or Pullman, or you might have a couple of bucks to try to send sign Bolu for what would be the Ben Sharat money. There's all sorts of permutations to this, um, but the trick in my mind is to know who is your core and know who isn't, and and uh, and move from there. So that's the theory, at least. That's not a thorough answer, but that would at least be my my frame of mind heading into it.
2: Uh Mike wants to know and I I thought that's an interesting question. Do you get paid a bonus when we click on the green face He's talking about on the Athletic app when uh, people read it you can uh, click that uh, articles are meh or solid or awesome. So do you is there a benefit for your uh, you if we all click on those things uh, is is that helpful? I mean, I know number of subscribers is obviously helpful,
0: um but what about that? Is that anything? Yeah, there's some formulas that I've like poked at and never paid too, too much attention to because I think, you know, subscribers and readers are are the biggest ones for sure. But, you know, little metrics like that do matter. Uh, The amount of people that comment and engage and all those sorts of things do end up mattering and – I'm really grateful when people do. So if you see stuff and you genuinely like the article, please do hit that green face and uh, please do leave a little note and let's have a conversation about it because that's one of the, the best joys for me. We're still at the point. I mean, the Internet, when you make it big enough... There, there's always going to be some angry people who are just there to be angry. But we're still at the point with the Jets community at The Athletic where, for whatever reason, we're the luckiest people on the planet. And everybody who comments there seems to add something to the conversation and does it in a really meaningful, respectful way. It is a beautiful place to be. Um, and as a writer, I just I get so much validation out of that. I get so much joy out of seeing people converse. The names are familiar to me now, all that sort of stuff. Um, so please do, yeah, click, click, click the green face, and, and also chime in. And uh, if you've got some words, if you think that I, something I said is absolutely off base, or if you um, have conversations with the the folks who comment, all of that stuff adds, adds up and uh, and makes me look like a good writer if lots of you are engaging with it. <laughs>
2: Okay, this one, uh, back to a bit of hockey, and I think you kind of alluded to it when you talked about your conversation with uh, some of the players in your article. Um, uh, it's uh, What's your biggest concern about the Jets' play right now, and do you see it fixed before the playoffs? Uh,
0: my biggest concern about the Jets' play would be what happens in their own zone, and uh, just the, the amount of defensemen right now who are playing maybe uh, at least a pair above what should be their pay grade, or what should be their ideal performance, and Some of that's going to fix itself when when Buffalo and Morrissey get uh, healed. Um, About three weeks ago, my biggest concern was that forwards weren't reloading at all and that there was just a complete lack of back pressure from Winnipeg's forwards that was forcing the the Blue Liners to back off as well. And that was sort of a double whammy of, well, the defenders aren't getting a whole lot of help and they're outmatched. And, And so that led to a whole lot of trouble in the defensive zone, in my opinion. Um I've seen an uptick in the quality of back pressure from the forwards. I've seen more help, more responsible defense being played by the forwards. Um uh, it a tiny little thing too, I'll point out that uh cop playing center instead of Jack rossovic is a help there. Now you have and, and the Hayes acquisition. Now you have four p- players down the middle with a little bit of responsibility there. Um I'm gonna add one more thing. Uh Blake Wheeler up until I believe the beginning of February he had played less than 20 minutes. I'm going to say seven or eight times in the entirety of the season. And since then he's already played, I think eight or nine times less than 20 minutes since the beginning of February as well. So that shaving of minutes that we've looked for for a while has begun to happen as well. Yep. Um, and I, I think that what this all points to is that the Winnipeg Jets forwards have kind of woken up in terms of what it takes to, to play that two way back pressure game and now the concern is just, well, the defenders are just so overmatched in, the, in their own zone right now um, that there's still going to be problems. The forwards could do everything in their power. There's still going to be problems just because you have no Morrissey or uh, Bufflin and, 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 and guys are playing above their, above their level. All this to say, my biggest concern is just that when everybody gets healthy, they can reintegrate and the Jets forwards and Jets defensemen can play as tight five-man groups you can see how effective that is when you watch them just get thrashed by Tampa Bay the other night. Um, and, and what Tampa is able to do by having multiple layers of offense at all times. There's always one new guy joining the fray Winnipeg. I'm not going to say that they can get quite there, but they have the, they have the talent and they have the the players. And finally, at least, I mean, it's a little bit too soon to say that this is the new normal, because it's only been a few games. I've seen this real strong uptick from the forwards, but finally, there's some signs that say that maybe that's what's coming. Um, And and I think that that's that's the focus, is forwards reloading hard, defensemen gapping really aggressively immediately. Um, And in the worst-case scenario of that situation, a forward can cover for a defenseman who makes a mistake. uh, Do that and have good in-zone play, ideally because you have Bufflin and Morrissey back, and, and maybe some things start ticking up again to slightly above average, like we saw in December.
2: This is great, actually. I'm looking at some of the remaining questions and, uh, that even I had, and uh, you're, you're kind of ticking off some of the boxes. So it's uh, we're, we're, we'll get through this, and uh, we'll both go to bed at uh, 1 in the morning. Um, Jets Nation, very important question. They want to know pancakes, waffles, or French toast, and you can only pick one. Again, another not hockey-related, but it's kind of funny and goofy. So uh, if you had to pick one of those. Which is it?
0: Waffles, nostalgia, high school, waffle bar, uh, all the topics in the world, the freedom and no restraint whatsoever. So waffles for that.
2: <laughs> all right. There's a couple of questions. Is about Maurice. Is he the guy? What does he need to do? Yada, yada, but I think it's obviously a team thing. And you've talked about some of the adjustments that they've been doing. I think the, the uh, Wheeler's time and Shifley's time uh, was a concern. A lot of people, myself included, were talking about that. So it's nice to see that moving in a better direction. Actually. Um, looking at toronto 's time on ice uh seemed like um they pretty much had every forward not not today but the last couple of games above ten minutes but below twenty minutes, which seems like sort of the the perfect place for your your forwards to not get too tired but get everyone involved so i 'd like to see that from the jets a little bit more um You did talk about truba whether he um signed trade or walks free agent, so we won 't talk about that talk about the passive penalty uh, well yeah we'll get into that. Uh here this is this is different. What what do you realistically see as a ceiling for Jack Rossovic? Uh it seems like the most opportune time to move him has already passed, I guess talking about the trade deadline maybe for Stone which was uh, kind of put out there a little bit. So, uh Rossovic, what do you think his ceiling is? Uh we hoped he'd be a 2C maybe by this time, maybe that was unrealistic. Um but yeah.
0: There we go. Uh ceiling uh second line winger maybe? Something to that effect? I I, I still see him as a somebody who's capable of being an impactful offensive player with the responsibilities of a winger. Um, I, I think the adjustment to him playing center has been slow at the NHL level, but at the same time, when you, I, I'm pretty sure when you asked me this in September, I said that Brian Little was still likely to hold on to that number two C job, just because I think that that's a hard transition. I think it's a meaningful and difficult uh, increase in responsibility to go from third or fourth line winger to, to fourth-line center even, as Jack Rosovic was asked to do. So I, I don't think I ever really thought that, that he'd be in that 2C hole by now. Um, hopefully that's accurate and that re-listening doesn't, doesn't really hit that too hard. But the, I, I still think that he has the tools to be somebody who puts up points on, on the wings of a line where maybe he's not the, the biggest play driver on it, but he can hang with those guys, uh, and I'm still optimistic about him, kind of in a long run, not an instant impact sort of way.
2: Yeah, you did actually talk about the Brian, Brian Little, uh, keeping that job, uh, for the time being. Uh, so yeah, you, you are on there. Uh, Menno Knight uh, has a couple of questions, but I think we're going to get to them a little bit in the questions I'm going to ask for you. But, uh, this one is interesting. You know, I've chatted about this before, but what's the best D pairings when Buff gets back and when Morrissey gets back? When they're both healthy going into, um, the playoffs, what do you think would be not what the coach will do, um, but what do you think would actually be, the the best way to spread out the talent and get the best out of those uh,
0: year 60. Yeah, I, I think the safest play, uh, especially given that the timelines aren't very long, would just to be go to go back to Morrissey and Truba as your number one pair, Dustin Bufflin is the guy who anchors pair two. I, I think that there's a solid argument that Nathan Beaulieu, at least in early returns has outplayed any of the other left-handed defenders. And maybe that's just prominence that, that I'm looking at. And uh um, so I, I think that he would be somebody that would be the the, the number one gun for for uh, Dustin Bufflin's partner, and then after that, uh, you, you've got an awful lot of, of players, and I, I think that I'm comfortable with Joe Morrow and Dmitry Kulikov in the in the press box. If that means that it's Ben Sherratt and Tyler Myers, um, that that could mean one thing. If it's still Sammy Niku and Tyler Myers, I think that could mean another as well. Um, I, I'm torn. Like I, I, I think that I'm one of the larger main like media proponents of 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 Sami Niku, and, I, and I've written a lot on him. And I, I really believe in puck movement and his ability to turn out, out of out of trouble spots and move the puck up ice is something that Winnipeg needs. Uh, but if you take all of those six guys and then you filter it down, and he's playing with Tyler Myers, um, that short pass game isn't Tyler Myers' strength necessarily. I'm just not convinced that they'll find an instant chemistry. So maybe that ends up being Ben rott and Tyler Myers or something to that effect. Um, the one thing that I am fairly confident about is that the sheltering between pairs, uh, the top four D tend to play tougher minutes by far than the, than the third pairing on Winnipeg. And um, at least when everybody's healthy, they do. Uh, so I'm less concerned about that than maybe I could be. I think as long as you run Morrissey, Truba, Bufflin, Anchor, the rest, you, you're, you're probably solid there. That said, you and I talked, what if you paired Morrissey and Bufflin together? That became your number one pair. And then you kept Truba and Beaulieu together. And I will tell you this. I didn't tell you it before, but Paul Maurice has alluded to me before that he's thought of that before. He's thought about running some Morrissey, Bufflin uh, pretty hard just on account of their mobility.
1: Right.
2: Yeah. I, and I, I like that idea. Um, you didn't mention Tucker Pullman once, so uh, fight me. Um, the, I, I said <laughs> your best possible lineup, and so I was taking Tyler Myers out and putting Pullman on the the third pair with uh, maybe Bolu and Niku with uh, with Truba there. So that, that's what I would do because I was I'm already sort of sold on the idea of seeing uh, Buff up with uh, Morrissey and uh, Truba with Niku and and whatnot. And I, I was hoping that without uh, I, I was trying to you know just uh, telepathically you know make you say the same <laughs> thing and just sort of. Confirm for me that uh, I am SMRT, but I'll, I'll defer to you on this one. That uh, you probably hey, I might you. be
0: wrong, but I'm risk averse in such a short period of time. You no, know, I, I guess we're so, yeah. September. I I think that Niku and Pullman would be an ideal third pairing. Let's say
2: yeah. Yeah and, and and that makes sense too right and and part of it plays into what uh the like you said the before the history of what the coach has done so there's also probably a little bit playing on what is possible and also uh, kind of again throwing back to that uh, the the episode we did before the season um the way that uh, maybe at this point of the season it doesn't matter as much but the way that contracts play into this not because of moving up and down but you know it, it, it's hard to justify 4.3 million dollars sitting in your press box even if it's the best thing for the team, Um did like, it is to Toby. Yeah, I know. Well, for a game, right? Um, but uh, and then if it was Myers too, like if uh, if I could, you know, have a strong argument to say, uh, Pullman over Myers. I mean, and if you got Myers and Kulikov in the press box because Bull, you and Niku kind of jump in there, and Pullman, um, that's that's nine. Nine million dollars, or almost ten million dollars, nine point eight, I think, sitting up there. So that's never going to happen. We all we all know that. So there's got to be some reality checks, obviously, in uh, in coming up with these things too. So, but I, I think that was fair. I think your answer was uh, was good about that. But the uh, the fact that Maurice has talked about that uh, buff with with Morrissey, I'm 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 very intrigued. I'd like to see it, and and Nico and Pullman hopefully on on the second line. But I think you're right about Bull. You probably jumping up there instead. All right, Uh, that's it for fan questions. Like I said, the other ones uh, I'll kind of get to, and uh, I did cross out a couple here, so I'm not going to try and keep you too much longer. But just kind of getting into the way that you watch a game uh, and the way that you're able to kind of come up with some of the the stuff that you do. Um, I'm curious... First of all, for those listeners that maybe aren't familiar with some of these things, I'm going to start real basic because a lot of people get real um, nervous when they hear analytics or advanced stats. This isn't advanced. This is real simple. But um, I'm always looking at what's the best way to measure success and who's doing things right and try and just become a smarter fan, really, and, and, and watch the game and learn from other people. But can you explain in a brief uh, version of what Corsi is? I know I've got you to do this before, but can you do it again?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um Corsi, also known as shot attempts, refers to any time that you try to shoot at the net. And whether that shot gets blocked or it hits the goalie or it goes in or you miss, uh, that registers as you know one corsi or one shot attempt. Uh, and it's not that there's necessarily anything magic about every time a team tries to shoot. But if you add them up over a long enough period of time, and for teams that's been found to be about 20 games, Uh, it gets kind of interesting because it tells you the teams that get more shot attempts spend more time in the offensive zone than the defensive zone. Not only that, but if you're taking a shot attempt, you're not on the wall behind the net. You're somewhere where you can shoot from as well, so there's something productive about it. Uh, So when you start adding all these shot attempts up uh, for and against teams that have more than half of them or that have more shot attempts than, than they give up, Generally, do perform better, and it, it predicts goals in in the long term at five on five. Because um, if you watch goals happen, there's all sorts of uh, there's all sorts of chaos that leads to, to goals beating goaltenders. It can bounce off the of skates. It can uh, a goaltender can be screened. There's all sorts of different bounces that that affect whether a goal goes in. And there's so relatively few of them over the course of the season that who has the most goals doesn't always predict who's going to get the most goals. Uh, so you zoom out a little bit, you look at things like shots. That's a little bit more predictive of who's going to score the more. Uh, and then you zoom out of that a little bit, you get shot attempts, and it's even more predictive uh, of who's going to score more. And that's why we use them at five on five.
1: And uh, really,
2: you don't have too many goals that don't include a shot, right? <laughs>
0: <It's> <laughs> a,
2: maybe some weird ones, but uh, generally there's a shot involved, so it's a pretty good, like you, you mentioned, measuring tool. Okay. I wonder if you could explain the Jets' uh, D uh, scheme and also their penalty kill and uh, maybe um, the good and bad of it and uh, of those and if they kind of suit the, the personnel. And, and actually specifically to, to the penalty kill, again, going back to uh, throw back to that first episode, um, you had mentioned that Hellebuck doesn't really like um, the cross-scene passes and feel... I don't know if it's confident, that's not what that you use, but felt like if he could see shots that, um, he felt quite confident he could save them. So the cross seam, obviously, when you gotta like quickly get from one side of the, the net, um, makes it a little bit more difficult. But whereas if it's kind of going around the outside, uh, maybe you see those guys like a line A. Kind of teeing up on the on the penalty kill, uh, you have enough time to get up and and square yourself off. So I'm curious if the penalty kill, the fact that the Jets are you know so passive and so small, and take away that that uh, that seam passer uh, kind of going through the middle, uh, is that specifically tailored to the goalie's preferences even?
0: Um, yeah, I, I think that the what the Jets perceive to be a, a dangerous shot is definitely that seam pass. And I think that the penalty kill is designed to take away those seam passes by keeping the uh, the two forwards kind of stacked on top of each other fairly close together. You can sort of follow the puck around the zone. And if the Jets are playing uh, a perfect version of that system, there's at least two sticks or two bodies in the way of just about any attempted pass. And when it's working right, there actually are, I, I counted them for a while, fewer seam passes against um than than other teams and it uh it reduces that and the trade-off is because they're passive and they sort of stay a little bit more central is that there's a lot of free passes from uh, the top of the zone to the top of the circle it's a relatively short pass but it's being given up for free and it's a bit of a shooting gallery against the Winnipeg Jets uh my theory for a while was that the sheer volume of those shots was eventually going to catch up to the Winnipeg Jets no matter how much better Connor Hellebuyck can stop that short pass, because he has less ground to cover in his net, um, the historic numbers of shots and shot attempts that Winnipeg was giving up on the PK was going to lead to trouble. Um, and you know, it would be tempting because since January one, I think the Jets' PK has been 27th in the league. To to say, oh yeah, I was right all along, necessarily about this. It would be, te- but I. Also don't think that the Jets have been quite as perfect with their system. I, I think I've seen more seen passes and, and teams carving them up a little bit more as well, too. Um, so it hasn't been good for the PK in the last couple of months. I don't think that they've executed uh their system as well as it should. And I also sort of had my reservations about the system even in its its most ideal form too. So geez, what's the what's the path forward? Um I ideally Uh, So Paul Maurice has recently shifted to to more pairings, and he's cut off Scheifele and Wheeler from from PK a little bit more, and he's experimented with four forward pairings instead of three. Um, That might be something uh, in terms of keeping forward's energies up, and I'm not sure. I'm not convinced. Uh, I, I still think that there, there's an awful lot of shots that the Winnipeg Jets give up. And because there's so many bodies in front and things like this, and because if you give some of the world's best shooters that kind of time and space, I, I think that there's some danger there. Um, for me, I'm still not convinced uh, that that it's exactly the system to go with, but it's obviously not going to change. And I'm not convinced that they're absolutely wrong about that either, because I trust the goalie. All right.
2: Uh, last thing best visualizations a lot of uh, analytics uh, people are trying to make their stuff a little bit more palatable for people that maybe aren't into it so they're coming up with a lot of visualizations I'm curious uh, which ones of these are uh, your favorite and uh, do you find the most helpful and accurate for um, really representing what's going uh, going on in this
0: for me, I I spend a lot of time, especially in my articles, I'll, I'll use Micah McCurdy's work at Hockey Viz fairly frequently, specifically the heat maps. Right. And they're the reason I like them is because they convey very clearly what they're trying to convey. Right. More red means more danger. More blue means less danger. Uh, they're they're very easy to interpret while also being accurate and and not maybe they don't try to convey anything. Or they're not promising to be anything that they're not I guess is what I'm saying is, is that they tell you where shots come from at what density uh, and who's generating more threat on on the ice um you'll see that I saw a really big debate about the the skater viz that uh uh that is it Bill Como is that the right name yeah, yeah
2: I believe I believe you're um, right yeah
0: puts out and there's a there's a bit of a debate because what he did a really good job of was aggregating a whole bunch of different stats including some of the micro staff and and putting them on bar graphs that were really easy to – like the eye could look at that and like, okay, more of this means better. More of that means better. And uh, for a lot of folks, I think that they were pretty handy. But there was some concern that some of those uh, – there were so many different stats tracked on those, those charts that some of them overlapped with each other. Um, not all of them were equally as important as the others. And by the time that, you know, your brain quickly looked at them, looked for more – uh, more big bars on the graph and you thought that that was better, it wasn't always necessarily the case and there's a little bit of noise there. Um, so I sort of strayed away from those because I I, I sort of, the, those concerns resonate with me. For me, the most important thing when somebody looks at a visual is that they can understand what it's getting at, that it's accurate in what it's getting at and that what it's talking about is meaningful. And I think that those heat charts uh, that that Michael McCurdy puts together do a really good job of all those three things. Uh, you can look at it, you know what's going on, and uh, and it's accurate as well. If you ever look at them though, and and a player hasn't played a whole lot of minutes, you can immediately see that there's a whole lot of chaos on them too. Just to um, just to say that as well. And 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 I think the guys like him, guys like C J Torturo, know uh, will throw small sample size warnings on their charts from time to time as well. Ah, um, oh, jeez, I could just ramble on at you for too too long, but I'll say that that's that's what I look for, and I think that that's what they do well. Right
2: yeah it's uh, getting late really really late and uh i thank you so much for your for your time and doing this we'll uh forget about those other questions they weren't that important uh, anybody that wants to find you you're great on twitter at interacting so if you have any questions from Rat, i encourage you to definitely uh go find them there uh what's what's your handle on the twitter uh at wpg murat uh m-u-r-a-t is that correct
0: yeah the u p g Marat all
2: right and you're at the athletics, so people can find you there again. thanks for doing this uh let's just cut it now. We did great, thanks so much.